Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast coming to you on the night that 10,000 fans returned to Carrow Road and saw Norwich City beat Gillingham 5-0, getting a very much needed boost in pre-season because it's been a strange and difficult, well, you could say 10 days could say 18 months, but they did win the championship title during that time as well. Uh, Dave Frieza here sat alongside Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell to discuss that pre-season friendly. And uh, Pad, if I come to you first, um, lots to enjoy tonight, wasn't there? Certainly was, Dave. Yeah, mainly taking your lead there, having those fans back for me. Um, that felt like a football game tonight. Yeah. Um, I said to Connor on the, the team news thing we do before the game, you know, we're we're all privileged that we, during this 18 months, have by and large been able to come to these games and still cover them in a professional capacity. But when you're in that environment tonight, and you know, even when you know Tim Krul, when he came out with the keepers, there was a huge roar and it didn't feel like a pre-season friendly. And then when Ben Gibson led them out just before kick-off again, and then Lise Malou's first goal of the night, um, and it popped into my head that for a lot of those 10,500 fans, that was probably the first live goal they've seen at Cairo probably since Jamal Lewis whacked that goal in against Leicester, which was February 2020, the last full house here prior to the pandemic. And, you know, what a world we've all inhabited since then. But just, you know, as we've said many times, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, football is fairly immaterial, but, but it does matter and it mattered to those. I'm sure those fans have gone home tonight. We're sat here in the press room still. so The new press room, refurbished press room. Very nice it is too, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure those fans have gone home tonight and not simply because they've seen their team win 5-0, but just the cathartic experience of being back at Carrow Road. Um, you know, they'll be on a high and uh, and we spoke to Daniel after the game and he, um, he acknowledged that, which is why he went out after the game and did his... Now customary, all four sides of the ground, um, double hand salute, orchestrating the crowd. And as he said, he wouldn't normally do that for a pre-season game, but it felt, the occasion felt like it merited it. And it was, it was special. But for me, I mean, that's just a taste of what it's going to be like, hopefully in 12 days time when Liverpool are here, because that will be a full house, hopefully. Yeah, too right. I mean, even the fact that the three of us are sat here just talking like this, we haven't done this for quite a long time, have we? You know, the pod has generally been over video calls and, and whatnot. So it's quite nice that, to have that feeling of a normality coming back. You know, there's still that little little bit in the back of my head that just doesn't want to let myself get carried away with it because we all know that we're not quite out of the woods yet, are we, and things like that. But um, let's, let's not get into uh, sort of COVID matters too much because we will have to come back round to that in terms of uh, the impact it's had on the squad and looking ahead to Newcastle and stuff. But we'll come back round to that and give you the sort of the full details and, 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 and names and things like that that it's been uh, affecting in, in the Norwich squad. But yeah, Connor, in, in terms of how well this night could have gone, 
just about ticked every box, didn't it? And and they really did need it after what has been a a difficult ten days for for Daniel and the players. Yeah, and I think I think everyone's been feeling a little bit flat. Or certainly mm. that's that's how I've gauged the temperature on social media, and and kind of understandably so. I guess the the transfer activity is perceived to have slowed down slightly. They've lost key people in key positions, which. Uh, I think if it's one or two is probably maybe swept under the carpet but when there's a few more people start to read maybe more into those matters than perhaps there is and it all contributes to um, to, to a feeling amongst the fan base which was probably one of frustration one a little bit of concern I think after promotion everyone wants um, it, it to be merry and jolly and obviously the fans coming back to tonight and I think the mood has shifted subsequently after after tonight and, and the performance they put on albeit against a League One side but it, it did feel like this was a night really to kind of lay down the markers and, and to show what they could do, particularly the the two additions in midfield, Gilmore and, and Le Malou, who are, I thought were, were pretty good. Um, again, with the caveat being that it is pre-season. So I think it was necessary in terms of shifting the move and shifting the narrative on. Obviously, we've had the COVID stuff as well. Um, and yeah, I think most Norwich fans would have would have who were in attendance tonight at least would have left with a big smile on their face just coming back, seeing their team scoring goals. I mean, the, the Lucas Rupp's goal, which was the third, wasn't it? Was yeah. was exquisite. Um, that was probably worth the the money that they paid alone in terms of how it was crafted. Um, and I think it will maybe inject some positivity in what has been a pretty tough ten days. And just to go back, what we were talking about before about fans returning, I was I was thinking actually as I was sat in the press box, kind of the difference between. Um, what we've been used to in terms of games behind closed doors and you know it's not a complaint because we've been privileged to be there but just in terms of processes in, in getting in the ground where we used to have to hand in a bit of paper and our temperature <laughs> checked and it felt a little bit like an airport check-in didn't it to, to get into the ground and tonight it wasn't like that and as Paddy summed up well brilliantly really it, it felt like a football game and uh, and it was really enjoyable and, and that really I think was, was the, the big take of the evening the fans and, and how enjoyable and, and how positive it was to have them back it certainly was, and there was lots to enjoy on the pitch as well. So um, if we just go through the actual game, sort of chronologically, really, um, the team, Tim Krull in goal, Aaron's at right back, Yanulis at left back in sort of a, a 4-3-2-1 sort of shape, uh, come 4-3-3, I suppose. But uh, Ben Gibson back after his injury alongside Andrew Omabamadeli in central defence. Then you had Lucas Rupp. Billy Gilmore and Lisa Malou as the central midfielders. Gilmore just a, a little bit deeper as sort of the, the anchor role. And then Campwell and Dowell as attacking midfielders in support of Ida. And you very much saw Yanulis and Aaron's bang, uh, bombing on to provide the width, really. And Connor's hinted at it there a bit, Pad. We, you know, this is pre-season anyway, so you don't read too much into pre-season full stop. But this was a Gillingham team missing five or six players who would have been in contention or they hope will be in contention for their League One opener against Lincoln on Saturday. So it was sort of a strangely timed game for them as well. Uh, they had a couple of trialists in the team. So we have to be a little bit cautious. But um, Pierre-Lise Malou was certainly the one that I think most people were talking about in the first half. Maybe, maybe along with Gilmore as well. But he, he looked pretty classy, didn't he? Yeah, very languid sort of his style. He just looks to have a lot of time on the ball and they always say don't they that's the hallmark of a, a very good player mm. but it is hard to benchmark against no disrespect to not even Gillingham's first 11 it, there was a there was a sparring partner sort of mentality I felt to, to that game tonight that it was really attack versus defence they did hit the bar obviously in the first half and that was as close as they can but mm. that would have been 1-1 as well wouldn't it? it would at that point yeah but um, you know I don't think 5-0 flattered Norwich really it was attack B defence and in that environment I thought Yanoulis was a standout um, going bombing down the left and as Connor rightly said you know he played a key role in Lucas Rupp's goal um, but you, you'd, you'd want 
to reserve judgment on anything you've seen tonight, particularly until we, I mean, Newcastle, you would hope, would be another serious step up on Saturday, the final pre-season game. But um, but that midfield, yeah, you, you refer to there, I think Gilmore shows what he's all about. Again, it is hard to keep, keep the hype under wraps with him because you see the quality that the lad's got. And also the maturity, you know, he was there was a couple of occasions in the first half he wasn't happy with the runs and the options maybe the players ahead of him were giving him as it when he when he got his head up and he, he wasn't slow to tell them as well and for a 20 year old you know it just shows you know what what a special talent he is and that he's got the temperament with the talent clearly and uh, I like that blend already uh, you know Rop and almost Lise Malua is minders and he has the protection to <laughs> to quarterback it almost and set the tempo and but but also you know there was two or three occasions in that first half he, he broke into the box and couple of better finishes and he's getting on the score sheet so that was good to see because I don't think if you've, you've not watched a lot of him you would necessarily associate that attacking dimension to his game so that, that could be a positive moving forward but that looks a nice blend there and of course Kenny McLean came on after quite a serious knee injury that you know ruled him out of the Euro sadly for Scotland but came on got 30 minutes and and he will be in that conversation as well so I, my takeaway from tonight looking at that allowing for the level of opposition was that midfield three, because as Daniel said when we spoke to him after the game, you know, that's probably the area of the squad where the biggest amount of work needed doing with Ollie Skip going back to Tottenham and Tete and and obviously Mario Vrancic leaving as well over the summer. Marcus Dieperman, you could add to that mix as well. They needed to address that area, and certainly in Gilmore and Lise Malou, and hopefully what maybe one more addition if they get it over the line between now and the end of August. It, it's looking quite healthy now that midfield area and it needs to be because I think we all would agree that that's going to be a key area in terms of how well they do in the Premier League Absolutely and um, I say that Gillian could have made it 1-1 but you know Gilmore had gone close twice hadn't he you know fired one just wide of the far post one just over the bar Norwich had quite a few chances so they would have been lucky to get back to 1-1 but within a minute of that it was 2-0 wasn't it uh, Adam Eder getting the goal in the 36th minute from a lovely assist from Todd Campwell who ended up with three assists in the end tonight and he's enjoyed pre-season as you know the pressure is off we saw quite a bit of showboating from it at Kings Inn and stuff didn't he but um yeah I, I thought in the end although at least Malou sort of started off like, like a train and I agree you knew this was very good I, I think Todd was probably the sort of the star of the show probably yeah, I watched. Remember when we were at Kings Lynn and watched him in the second half, and it was it was just like he was down the park with his mates, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. It was it was almost um, it was just a, brilliant to watch, and he kind of carried that on tonight. And I was speaking to um, to Chris Sutton on Sunday, and he, he made this point, and, and we kind of saw it after Madison left as well. The fact that maybe he's been in not in Buendia's shadow, but along those kind of lines, he's he's kind of in second fiddle, hasn't he, in terms of the, the creative outlet? You you just wonder if he is if he does stay beyond the end of the transfer window and. He is the main sort of attacking player in this side. The sort of ability that he's got, he can really relish under that, I think, and, and really grow into that role. And there's there was there's almost been a nice arrogance about him in mm. pre season, kind of like he's walking onto the pitch thinking he's he's the best player on there in a in a very positive way. And we know he's a confident lad and there was a, a moment that we laughed at in the in the first half, I think it was before that overhead kick, um, where he kind of it was like karate kick, wasn't it? it yeah. Karate. But I said if he'd have got it wrong, he'd have looked yeah. a right prat. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but that's him, isn't it? And and that is kind of the joy of watching him play. And and if you get that and, and you extract it in the Premier League, we already know what he can do from two years ago when he was probably one of Norwich City's better performers. He's two years along now and, and I think that's a pretty exciting prospect going into the Premier League this time around, particularly if he is given all the love in the world to to feel like he's he's the main guy, the star man. 
um, then I think we could see a really, really good Todd Cantwell this year, a really productive Todd Cantwell. And I think we, we saw a Todd Cantwell that's enjoying his football and that ultimately, I think, is, is the recipe for success with him. Yeah, I think we saw a bit of that tonight as well, the, the love from the fans. Uh, at the end, you know, he chucked a, his shirt to a kid in the crowd, didn't he? And that got a really nice reaction and he was sort of going around applauding the the, the fans in the stands, not in a goodbye way. I didn't, didn't read it in... in that element at all um, but yeah it, it felt like um, his performance tonight got, got quite a lot of love so that saw them tune up at half time the only change at the break was Angus Gunn came on for Tim Krull which got a nice big uh, cheer as you were as you would imagine and then that third goal if I come back to you on, on this Connor is it you sort of um, teed it up a little bit earlier about the, the sort of build up in the end it was a fairly simple finish to the goal wasn't it you knew this crossing for, for Rook but um, just, a, just a bit of class and I suppose I suppose it sort of showed how Gillingham were chasing shadows a lot of the night. Yeah, and I think it showed the difference in quality, didn't it? And maybe Paddy refer, uh, sort of referred to that midfield three, maybe the difference this time around to last time, mm. whereas they had a lengthy spell of possession, but they actually had the quality to cut through. And uh, again, you have to put it in the context of the standard of the opposition they were facing. But that quality from, from Gilmore is, is something they simply didn't have two years ago in that role. And, and obviously, Unilius's cross as well is, is pinpoint. And, and you've got a midfield sort of willing, a midfielder willing to break past the ball into the box to try and score a goal and they did look like they had a bit more of a threat from midfield tonight and um, again putting that in all the context but you've got Leigh Malou who's willing to shoot from range as, as we saw with the first goal Billy Gilmore with, with a couple of bursts in the box and a willingness to shoot from range Lucas Rupp getting on the score sheet so I, I think all of that is immensely positive and it sort of shows maybe when we speak about tweaking and lessons learned maybe that midfield area is, is the big one but that goal just was I mean, if if you watch football, you enjoy that goal, don't you? I think it was, it was slick. Um, it was aesthetically pleasing. It was just, it it was wonderful. And luckily, I think since Daniel Farke has been in charge, Norwich fans have had a few of those goals to enjoy. But um, that one, particularly given what we said earlier about the mood music and questions over quality, I think that probably answered a few of those questions. It was a a really well sort of carved out goal. I thought. Yeah, the midfield's really interesting. If if Farker's going to play that three, then you'd have thought it's just a straight shootout between Rupp uh, and McLean for the slot on the left, isn't it? Because Lise Malou and Gilmore, I think, will be pretty surprised if they're not starting against Liverpool on, on the opening day. Um, the changes came pretty quickly after that goal. So Gibson basically got an hour in the tank, then was replaced by Zimmerman. Uh, Kenny McLean comes back from his uh, injury, uh, as Paddy mentioned earlier, that knee injury which kept him out of the Euros. Um, he came on for Lise Malou and Jacob Sorensen back uh, from his COVID isolation. He replaced Lucas Rupp. So they were on for uh, the last 25 minutes or so. Um, the fourth goal came in the 73rd minute. Kieran Dowell teed up Adam Eda for a, a really good strike, wasn't it, Pad? And you asked Daniel Farker about Adam's progress in pre-season. That's, that's four goals. He's the top scorer in pre-season yeah. stuff. And that was, uh, that was a good sign, the, you know, the confidence that was behind that strike. Instinctive, yeah, that finish back to goal knows where the knows where the goal is, turn, hit, bang, top corner. Instinctive, as I say, and that's what he's all about. And even the first goal, you know, as good as Cantwell's piece of skill was, it probably veers the other side of the post and out of play and a goal kick if Eda's not got the predatory instincts inside the box to anticipate that could happen and he's there and it's, it's a simple volleyed finish then, but you have to be in the position. Actually I did ask him, you're right Dave, but his answer was well, it was a bit puncturing the balloon, I think, because he, he more or less, I'd have to listen back to the complete answer, but it was more or less a dissection of the things that he needs to learn in his game rather than what he's showing, which, as Daniel, to be fair to him, did reference, again, a natural-born goal scorer. That's the label Daniel's attached to him. 
but you know there was three or four elements of his hold up play, his play with the back to goal, running into the channels, his awareness, um, and maybe that's Daniel's you know way with his younger players. I noted as well because we had it last season, one of the games, final whistle before he went round the four sides. There was a bit more of a word in the ear of Amabama Daly as well, immediately on the final whistle. Um, not quite on the admonishment levels of was it? I think it was the Huddersfield game, wasn't it? When yeah. they absolutely tonked him, and yet he still delivered what looked like a quite harsh coaching lesson on the final whistle that night. Um, maybe that's just Daniel, you know, just because Adamida is, as I say, making a few positive headlines and four goals, and maybe it's just yeah, okay, we like what you're doing in front of goal, but you know, there's still plenty of work to do in your game, and that's that's how he treats his young players, but. Um, in the absence of tonight, Pookie and Hugel, and that maybe bring us on to why they were absent. It's it's good to see because yes, they still would like ideally, I think probably to add one in that area of the pitch. But this could be a big season for Adamida. You know, he scored the first goal of Norwich's championship season last season at Huddersfield. He scored the last one at Barnsley, but in between, it was injury. It was COVID again for him, um, and and he, his season never really got going. And probably in terms of his development you could call it a treading water campaign and at his age now he needs to really put his hand up and um, and make that kind of leap that Max and Jamal and Ben Godfrey have done before him and the talent's there um, but obviously you know as Daniel said after the game you know there's elements of his game he, he still needs to, to round into not just a pure finisher but you certainly can see scenarios coming into this Premier League season now in certain games and certain settings there's a guy who knows where the goal is. And every level of his club career, international, there's still a few question marks, I'm sure, but every level of his club career, he has scored goals. And there's nothing, I think, to suggest that he won't be able to do that at Premier League level. And if they can start getting goals from him in the Premier League, then you've got a seriously good player and another highly valued commodity on your hands as well. Because strikers who score goals at Premier League level, you know, they go for a lot of money. Yeah, he's still only twenty, I think, isn't he? Yeah. You know, you think he, it felt it feels like he's been around for for quite a while, but he really needs a good run of games, doesn't he? Now, and maybe he's going to have to be patient. Maybe he's going to have to force his way past Tim Puki. We'll we'll have to see. But um, yeah, just to finish off um, the the final goal, eighty ninth minute, just to give the ten thousand fans a, a nice send off into the night. A lovely free kick from Todd Cantwell out on the left wing. Lovely trajectory to it, and Jacob Sorensen able to power in the the header from close range, and that's five nil, and everybody goes home happy. All the boxes ticked a uh, pretty perfect pre-season night overall but if I come back to you Pad then on the the Covid issues um, I've got the list here so I'll, I'll go through them but um, the players not involved tonight were Puki, Hanley, Bali Mamba, Pajeta, Hernandez, Hugill and Rashitsa. if you take up take up the story from there I mean I thought there was almost a nice line from Daniel wasn't there when he joked that well at least most of my players have had COVID now, so hopefully they won't get it again. <laughs> that's, that's looking exceedingly on the positive side of the year because um, that might be the case. But, uh, but Connor, you did point out, I mean, Barley Mumba, I think, had it last season as well. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they won't get it again if they, if they had it. But mm. all joking aside, yeah, those seven plus Jacob Sorensen and, or Jakob Sorensen and, and Angus Gunn, who had it, prior to the Huddersfield game, had to self-isolate and only came back into the group yesterday, Monday. So that was nine players. And then Daniel added two more, the two full-backs tonight, Max Ahrens and Demetrius Yanoulis. Didn't have symptoms, uh, didn't test positive, but were deemed maybe close contacts and had to isolate as well. So in total, 11 of Norwich's players over the course of this pre-season period of COVID-related absences. And um, as Daniel said, you know, 
on various levels, yes, of course, the health of the players and their families is, is paramount. But in terms of the disruption, it's it's wreaked on Norwich's pre-season. We all know two games were cancelled last week, two proposed friendlies, a mini training camp uh, up north as well that had to be um, you know shelved as well. And and Daniel's phrase tonight, which stood which stood with me after the game, was it could be a bumpy start to Premier League season mm. because. Again, with the greatest respect to Gillingham, I don't think that's that's really going to battle hard in Norwich for when Liverpool come to town or Man City away the following week or then Leicester at home and, and Arsenal in the mix as well, aren't they? I think so. Um, I think we have to accept that this is probably going to have quite a detrimental impact um, in terms of Norwich's start to the season, which was already hellishly tough if you look at the fixtures. Um, because to have at any given time 11 players and frontline players in a lot of cases you know Grant Hanley tonight Timu Puki both of those would be shoe-ins you think for Liverpool um, certainly the two full-backs and um, Rashica, yeah, you know the big money summer signing as well so it's uh, it's a very very difficult situation Norwich of course have experience of it they had at various points of last season to deal with these issues and, and they found a way and, and yeah, to take Daniel's point there he said that they've tested obviously daily subsequently and there's been no recent cases so they hope it's behind them now at least this this wave of it but um, and he also made the point you know Norwich aren't alone in terms of there are Premier League clubs who are having to deal with either Covid issues in terms of the camp or a disrupted pre-season impact I think Chelsea had to shelve a, a tour to America if I'm not mistaken because uh, of a Arsenal did Man United Arsenal. have had to yeah, just yeah, yeah. cancel one no, so it, it, it's there it's there and, and as everybody in every walk of life are having to live with it why would Norwich City as a professional football club be immune from it? But that amount of players disrupted. I mean, he picked out Timu and he said Timu came back late anyway because of the Euros and he had, you know, extra time off, was in training for three or four days and now he's had to isolate for 10 days. What sort of preparation is that for him to be leading the line against Liverpool? But that's the cards that have been dealt and, and Norwich are having to sort of play them hand as best they can. But, but hopefully, uh, Daniel said, of those seven who missed tonight, he didn't put a number on it, but he said uh, there'll be a few of those who will have served their isolation period by the time we get to Saturday, and we should see them at Newcastle. So hopefully we'll turn the corner. But um, yeah, I think my concern, and certainly from reading between the lines, his concern is what impact this will have on the start of the Premier League season. Yeah, and if they haven't got symptoms, as long as they're not ill, which we presume most of them won't be, we, we presume most of the squad are going to be at least have had their first jab and things like that, they'll still be able to carry on with their cardio work, won't they? They'll be on the exercise bike, they'll be on the rowing machine, whatever it is at home or wherever that is possible for them to carry carry on their fitness work. It's just they're not going to be able to do football specific stuff are they or not not too much of it anyway um who knows if the soccer bot had been there sooner maybe they could have done that in isolation or something who knows but um yeah it's it's an awkward situation and that takes us on uh, on to newcastle but before we go on to that there was one i just wanted to come back to connor on on Bamadeli, what what you thought of him tonight in term- we were saying during the game, weren't we, that he looks like he's probably had another growth spurt. He looks like he's definitely been doing the work in the gym. He he looks like a a, a professional centre-back now, doesn't he? He's filled out and he was chosen ahead of Zimmerman tonight. I don't know if we can read too much into that, but if things don't go well for Hanley, he's he's in the mix for selection, isn't he? As a, he's still 18, isn't he? I, think, I don't think he's had his 19th yet. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable, isn't it, how, how young he is and, and how developed he is at this stage. I think if, if we compare him to Ben Godfrey, who's probably the most recent example, I think he's he's well ahead in terms of development than, than what Godfrey was at that age. And what, what struck me really about 
tonight compared to maybe his performances at the end of last season was was his work on the ball. I thought he was he was very good. There were a couple of switches of play that he put straight to the to the foot to to the feet of of Dimitri Yanoulis or, or other players and. Um, had Gibson alongside him as well, sort of coaching him through it. There are, there are a couple of shouts. We haven't heard it for a while. A couple of shouts of the uh, the north eastern <laughs> accent higher. Uh, we, I won't I won't do an impression. Um, <laughs> but obviously, working with with Hanley, Gibson, Zimmerman as well, I throw into that. I, I think he's got three really good players to learn off um, at this stage. Not not necessarily in terms of ability because he's he's in a very good place there anyway. But in terms of mentally, in terms of tactically. Pad reference to stuff with Daniel Farker. I mean, it's it's a coach who, who who's got a brilliant track record in terms of bringing through youth. So, in in this environment, he looks very good, and, and I think it is going to be kind of well, it, it could potentially be a, a throw him in the cold water job against Liverpool and see how he gets on, and and, and that could really be a, a test to see how far and how ready he is for the Premier League. And um, I think all the signs so far, and the signs tonight, and again with the context of the opposition. Were, were positive and, and Newcastle I guess will be a really good test for him uh, if he does start there against Premier League opposition and he does do well then that by, might be enough to convince Daniel to, to give him a start against Liverpool next week and um, I think considering where he's where he's come from and how quickly that development has, has accelerated it's it's a remarkable story really and um, yeah like you say he looks to have got taller looks to have filled out a bit more really aggressive in his defensive work looks like a defender that just really loves to defend but capable of playing as well as you need to in a, in a Daniel Farker team so I think there's a lot to like there and, and at this stage I don't think we can rule him out starting against Liverpool obviously Hanley one of the players missing tonight it, we don't know if, it, if he'll be back for Liverpool or not but if there is an opening there then then who knows he could he could take that perform really well against Liverpool and then off you go in the Premier League and you speak about Adam Eder for for expensive commodities. You see, Mark Gay has just gone to Palace for eighteen million, having not really played a game in the Premier League. If if he gets a season of Premier League football under his belt and really impresses, then that's that's going to be another asset that Norwich City have, have managed to create. Absolutely, and there were two really strong headers. I remember in the first half, which um, I thought were pretty impressive for for a lad his age, because he was determined to beat his man to them as well. Um, but that was uh, yeah, that was that was pretty impressive. Right before we turn our attention to the Newcastle game, um, I spoke to Billy Gilmore after the game. Uh, very impressive speaker, as you can imagine, coming through the Chelsea Academy and already being a Scotland international. Yeah, that England game when he was such a thorn in their side, and that. Uh, what was a thoroughly disappointing result for England, but a, a very, very positive night for for Scotland as they uh, frustrated the old enemy. But yeah, here's a here's a little taste of what Billy Gilmore had to say. If I take you back to that England game a bit, then and and the amount of hype that was around you, that everybody was talking about you all of a sudden. How, how did you sort of keep your your head on your shoulders at that time? I was just really looking forward to going out and play. I knew it was a hype uh, about me coming into Scotland squad to play, but just stuck to my position do I know what I'm good at on the pitch and to be honest in that match we, we created a lot of chances and done well and overall it was a good night there So coming to Norwich presumably you will have had plenty of options on, on your plate this summer and how much did you speak to Thomas Tuchel about this because obviously he's a man that knows knows Daniel Farker very well in terms of style of play and things like that I knew when the season finished I, I wanted to go on loan I wanted to come and get experience more game time playing in week, uh, week in week out and to do it in the, to get in the Premier League was even better. So for me to come here, I'm really excited, and the boss has been uh, proud of me so far. He just said he was very pleased with you tonight. That he felt like your positioning was better than earlier in pre-season, and that you were calm and controlled. So yeah. <laughs> that's the sort of thing you want to be hearing at this stage, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm still still learning the style of play, uh, a lot different, of course, but uh, I'm understanding it well and picking up quick. 
how do you feel the squad has dealt with everything that's happened in this last couple of weeks? It's, I mean, you, as you just spoke about with Chris, you know all about the COVID side of things, but how's the spirit in the squad considering you've got this challenge ahead of what we're, I don't know, 10 days away from the opening game? Yeah, I mean, everyone was a bit, I was gutted, so it was because we had basically no players. We had to cancel a few games yeah. and not pre-season. The best way to get fit is to play games, so we were struggling, but on the training pitch, we've been top-notch. I mean, the bosses worked us really hard and we're doing the extra miles in training, making sure we're doing it right for stuff like tonight, because tonight you wouldn't look at us and say we had two weeks without a game or something, so it's really good workout from us. Pretty close to a goal tonight as well. <laughs> yeah, a few. I was with Jamie coming, I played for Chelsea, so I was kind of raging I never scored, to be honest. <laughs> Should have had the target, but no, yeah, good win overall and good performance from the boys. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Right, Pad, on to St James's Park then. And uh, unless, uh, well, as you've teed up already, uh, hopefully some of those players are back. But uh, if we look at the bench tonight, you know, Jonathan Tomkinson, Daniel Adshead, both on there. Didn't, I think there was only seven players on the bench, wasn't there? So they need some players back to have much uh, option to play a team different to, to tonight, really. But Newcastle and Steve Bruce, I think the, their sort of surge towards... Um, survival at the end of last season was based on a, a three at the back, wasn't it? And they had great, great success with that. Jacob Murphy as as a right wing back. Um, we might see Jamal Lewis, uh, of course, as well on, on Saturday. Um, but that is going to be a, a totally, totally different test tonight. And we're going to be really looking for, for some clues for that Liverpool game in that one, aren't we? Just when you said Jamal, the first thing that popped into my head is Max Aarons and him are going to be duelling down oh, that flank. Yeah. That, that's, going to be, that's going to be some battle, that two yeah. that, Luton products. Max was a bit edgy tonight as well, wasn't he? He got a bit uh, yeah, nuts off for someone. He wasn't happy. Yeah, I don't know if it was the same guy, but there was one episode in the first half just in front of the Gillingham dugout where I think you know he got a bit of a flea in his ear from. Um, well, I nearly said uh, rather a derogatory term about Steve Evans's weight, but uh, <laughs> I stopped myself. But uh, but it, it, yeah, I think the I can't I think it might be the captain left a bit on him, so I don't know whether that was a hangover from that. But yeah, he got a bit spicy in the second half. He needed a few cool heads around him in green and yellow, but. Um, but yeah, that that will be good. that will be quite. I'm sure those two will be having plenty of banter on the pitch if if it turns out that they're in direct competition. And as you say, yeah, you know uh, Jacob as well, who seems to well, he's got that fat new contract in his back pocket, and he's clearly had a bit of a revival on on Tyneside, um, having looked like he was maybe sort of surplus to requirements. But uh, yeah, wasn't it a six year contract? By, by all accounts, yeah, not quite Pardew <laughs> levels, but not far off. And uh, yeah, I mean Sam Maximan. Uh, I haven't really followed their... I think they got beat at Burnley, if I'm not mistaken. I think I was on the Newcastle website earlier. I think they might have got beat there on Friday night. But um, um, I, I don't know about who's who's fit and who's not, but um, you know he he's a special talent as well. And there's no doubt, as it is for Norwich, I'm assuming Newcastle don't have another game going into the, their Premier League opener. So you would think they will be as close to full strength as they can be. So that will be a considerable step up from what we've seen here tonight. And... Uh, they certainly do need a few of those frontline options, but hopefully, as I say, we have no clues as to the identity of the ones who will be available. But if, say, Timu was was available, I think he he comes in for Adam and um, you know probably Grant Hanley. Well, 
but on, off the back of what Connor was saying, I think Daniel had a bit of a dilemma there, whether you drop Obama Daly out to accommodate Hanley, but that would be the pragmatic choice because I think you you would you would expect if Hanley and Gibson are fit, they start against Liverpool. So they, they need game time together. And does Kenny McLean get a start? You know, because I'm sure he's he's in Daniel's thoughts for Liverpool. So, yeah, I mean, in the limited options, he might have to change it. I don't think we will see too much different from that starting lineup on, on Saturday. And um, there's no doubt that that will be a, a stiffer test. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a more realistic benchmark of where Norwich are and where they're a bit short going into the Liverpool game. Yeah, I mean, if we saw a three from the start on Saturday, I think that would be a massive indication, wouldn't it, that we're probably looking at that for the Liverpool game. And the thing that's, in my mind particularly at the moment, is that the Liverpool game, I think, we saw tonight, there'll be a huge amount of adrenaline behind it, won't there? There will be, you know, they'll go for the jugular, they'll go for that sort of Manchester City occasion of two years ago, won't they? They'll be hoping they can pull off that sort of classic, newly promoted team, just have so much... um, enthusiasm and confidence behind it that they managed to pull off a shock result the one that scares me is the one that follows which is Manchester City away <laughs> which is an incredibly difficult game isn't it um, hopefully there'll be some Norwich away following but we don't know how that's going to work out yet so yeah it's it's going to be a real search for clues at Newcastle I think isn't it and yeah I think you also have got to bear in mind that you've got to get if you know if Hanley is available to play, you've got to get him a start, haven't you? And Pookie likewise. Yeah, yeah, I think you do absolutely. Particularly given what what we've kind of spoken about and, and the, the preseason situation, it's now going to be an acceleration to get sort of minutes into legs, isn't it? Ahead of that opening game, and and any minutes you can get into those returning players' legs before next weekend is going to be crucial. Particularly given how thin the the squad was tonight, and in terms of in terms of shape, it's going to be fascinating because. Uh, we've, we've spoken quite a lot on various things we've done about how maybe the signings have lent towards what we saw tonight, which was kind of a four-three-three, but maybe slightly different. Um, if they do go back to to playing a three at Newcastle, then maybe we're seeing kind of two plans being put in place. The one tonight, where maybe games they feel they can dominate the ball, and then maybe you've got one uh, a game plan for when they they go away and, and maybe don't have so much of the ball and have to dig in and be a bit more pragmatic. That's that's maybe the direction it's heading. So it's going to be interesting to see how they line up in that regard. And as you mentioned, it is their final pre-season friendly. So you, you would imagine Daniel will be looking to get a look at as close to the starting eleven um, against Liverpool as, as humanly possible, obviously, with the various COVID things in place. So um, it's, it's going to be a real test, uh, positive. And also, I think we're going to be able to take a lot from it in terms of how Norwich are going to line up the following week. So... Even though it's maybe a bit bizarre in terms of them playing someone in, in their in the league, it's maybe not the worst thing in the world in terms of gauging the quality and also maybe for a few players as well to understand the level before the real stuff starts. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be a really interesting um, educational probably trip to to the northeast and um, particularly in front of of fans at St James's Park. I mean, we mentioned it today, but that's going to be the first time they're going to play um, in front of an away crowd for for some time since Luton I think in December if I'm not mistaken Um, so that's going to be something else that they need to need to cry and and channel they've had it going for them tonight it's going to be against them on Saturday Uh, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any away fans either so there's that element to it and and all of those things I think will will add up to a good test and probably the the friendly that Daniel Farker will be able to extract the most from I would imagine yeah, I, I think it was probably that Burnley game you've mentioned, Pad, but I think Newcastle were booed off at half-time in one of their pre-season friendlies, <laughs> weren't they? Um, and I don't think they've gone too well. Um, they took, I saw they took 3,000 to Doncaster, which isn't the longest 
trip in the world. I suppose it's what a couple of hours from from Newcastle. But um, yeah, we we know what their crowd are like when they get going. But it's not going to be fifty six thousand. I wouldn't have thought on Saturday, is it? Um, I I almost loathe to mention transfers, Pad. Really, it's quite nice to uh, have football to talk about because we had these two games pulled away at quite short notice last week, didn't we? And then I think that has played into a, a lot of gnashing of teeth and nerves and people maybe overanalyzing and not, okay, no, maybe overanalyzing it is unfair. I think it, it is fair for some Norwich fans to be getting a, a bit nervous about the fact that we haven't seen more additions yet because we are now into the final 30 days of the transfer window, August 30th. We all, I think, are in pretty wide agreement that Norwich still need at least, say, two or three more additions to that squad. And, and then people can start to feel that bit more relaxed about their prospects and stuff. But um, uh, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit because I didn't hear all of Daniel's interview because I had to go off and interview Billy, didn't I? But yeah. were there any sort of hints from Daniel in terms of uh, what he's still looking for and, and, and whether they're close to anything? Well, I mean, on that vibe, which is discernible depending on what quarters of social media you look, that that there is a, a frustration almost tipping into... Um, rising panic that Norwich aren't doing the business they need to. I mean, Lise Malou is the last senior player that came through the door and that was mid-July. We're now into August. So I'll put that point to Daniel post-match and he basically said, yeah, of course, you know, both him and Weber would like to be getting this business done earlier. But following on from what Stuart said to us in this very room, actually, when, when Daniel's contract was formally announced uh, two or three weeks back, two weeks back, um, this market is a very jittery market in general at the minute and there are clubs and we don't need to reference the players because we all know who we're talking about but there's players that Norwich would like to bring in and the valuations of said clubs for said players at this moment are not where Norwich are and won't be tempting Norwich to to go beyond their means um, or, or even pay inflated figures for players who they value at substantially less and Daniel kind of touched on that again this, this evening I thought and almost said look We'd like to do the business soon as. I'd like these players in the door by Liverpool, ideally. But the reality is they might have to just sit on their hands and, and let the clock tick down ever closer to deadline day, which is the end of August. It's nearly thick end of three and a half weeks away. Um, and then if if those players are still at those clubs and they've not been able to shift them, there's probably going to be a bit more pragmatism, I think, come into valuations, and then Norwich will look to to maybe push the button on one or two. I think I think it's safe to say that they're fairly confident at this stage. Uh, that the the Greek lad they've been linked with, Zolis, the 19 year old who who I know was involved with Pauk uh, this evening, funnily enough, um, in Ireland in their Europa Conference League game of a got that competition, that, yeah. that Mickey yeah. Mouse competition, right? Qualifier, I think. Um, which I believe they've lost that first leg. I think he came on. Um, by all accounts, that they are pretty cl- confident that they're closing in on that player, and uh, you know I'm sure that that will will get a very favourable response from from Norwich fans because he you know he's a 19 year old, but um, you know the clubs he's been linked with and, and the numbers he's producing, in, in, albeit in the Greek uh, first division, are very exciting. So um, so that looks like the most likely one to come over the line next. Um, the Brandon Williams won the Manchester United link. I don't think that's particularly far advanced. Yes, he's a player they like, um, but I don't think he's one they're actively uh, in the final stages of trying to do something. I think uh, at the minute it's all about getting Zollis over the line, and I think um, barring any last-minute hitches, they're pretty confident that will happen. Um, when, uh, time will tell, but I would say certainly um, if it goes to plan, it'll be uh, well in advance of Liverpool. So, 
you know, that hopefully will assuage some of the fears that Norwich aren't getting the business done. They need to get done. And and just to sign off on that, Daniel's parting shot this, this evening on that point was, you know, judge us again, judge us again. When the window closes, he is supremely confident they will have done the business they need and that that squad will be far better equipped to achieve what they all hope they can, which is to stay in the Premier League first and foremost and then build from there. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen Philip Billing as well. His name hasn't gone away because, you know, we know Norwich like him. He's been one of these where if there's a deal in their wheelhouse that they can afford, then they would like to sign Philip Billing. And maybe what we saw tonight, that shape, that four three two one, he would fit very nicely into, you've got sort of two number 10s there, haven't you, in, in that sort of role. And that's where he had his success last year. And he's got that physicality, hasn't he? He's got size on his side. So whether that is one that they can bring back round and, and Bournemouth do end up looking to do business there, I, that, that sounds like it's going to be tied pretty closely to whether they can sell Arnott Danjuma, who scored that brilliant goal here, of course, at the end of last season and is their star asset. If they get 25 million for him, then they probably don't need to sell Philip Billing, do they? So I think that's one similarly where Norwich are, just having to be patient aren't they well you know Stuart Webber has made it very clear that they are being patient and they're having to be patient but yeah just finally Connor I suppose it it comes down to to trusting Webber doesn't it you know if they don't get billing then you've got to trust that the next one down on the list that he's you know he's got the right target in mind if Villa turn up with 35 million for Cantwell or whatever because Grealish has gone to Manchester City for a however much stupid money has been talked about, £100 million, then you've got to trust Weber is going to have that target ready to go. He's going to know exactly what he's going to do with that money. And probably if he does sell Todd for that sort of massive fee, if, if that's where things end up going in the next few weeks, then it's not going to be one player. From a Norwich point of view, you'd have thought you'd get two or three very good players that could really impact a newly promoted club. Yeah, exactly that. I think there's there's so much to pan out, isn't there? And I know that is probably quite scary for people with, mm. with three and a half weeks to go because that uncertainty isn't really something that's existed since Stuart Webber's come in. All, all of the squad has been, by and large, together by that opening game of the season. So they've had a period of, of bedding in. Uh, and I think we, we just need to accept that these are kind of uncharted waters, both for football generally in terms of the impact of, of COVID and clubs maybe digging their heels in and, and maybe not realising the mess that they'll be in. I mean, we could we could list several championship clubs at the moment um, who are really struggling financially uh, off the top of my head obviously the mess that Derby are in um, uh, Reading as, uh, as well are in Bargo so, so these clubs maybe uh, Sheffield Wednesday Sheffield Wednesday there are various examples of, of, of where clubs maybe could have sold assets didn't and, and have really paid the price for that so um yeah, you have to kind of be patient and wait for things to fall into place. Um, and I get the, the the frustration because everyone wants that squad looking as as ready as it can before Liverpool. But ultimately, as Pad mentioned, there it's going to be a, a very difficult start anyway. Not just because of their fixture list, because of kind of the mitigating circumstances of this this preseason, which has been stop start. Um, obviously, the transfer activity not being as as swift as they'd like, but I think they were prepared for that. So I don't think this is an unexpected pause. I think this is this is one they're anticipating, and um, I think you can only at this stage take them for their word and and, and sort of wait await judgment until kind of August the thirty first after the windows closed, and we'll see what sort of nick the squad is in there. Um, we'll have an international break, won't we, around then as well. So it, it'd be a good opportunity for for the the whole squad then to to really get together and uh, and then attack the Premier League before Christmas so I get the frustration but uh, I think 
you know, all being well, and, and Daniel's reiterated that tonight, they'll, they'll have a, a stronger squad with more additions come the end of the month, and that that ultimately is the priority. The worst thing would be just getting players in for the sake of getting players in that, that weren't right, and um, I, I think you know maybe maybe a couple of years ago those those targets moved on a, a bit quicker than, than maybe they hoped, and they went down the list a bit quickly, and maybe weren't patient enough because they wanted that squad together. And and again, we talk about lessons learned. If you if you want to avoid a repeat of what happened two years ago, you have to do things differently. And maybe this is something they've reflected upon and uh, and are keen to do differently. So um, let's wait and see. But, you know, this this Greek leg sounds exciting. That would hopefully kickstart a bit more excitement and um, add a bit more quality into their squad ahead of ahead of the Premier League opener. Yeah, Jolis had a phenomenal season last year didn't he so he, he does look like he could be an exciting addition to things but you can understand people getting a little bit jumpy and Stuart Webber knows full well if that squad isn't looking up to Premier League standard on well the start of September first of September then he knows that he's going to be getting flack if the results aren't uh, falling in the in the right way for Norwich at the start of the season but hopefully that's everything covered it's closing on midnight so I think we're pretty lucky that we haven't been kicked out of Carrow Road already so we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, Pinkin.com is the place to go for all the reaction and analysis of tonight's 5-0 win over Gillingham. We'll keep you up to date with all the latest ahead of that game against Newcastle on Saturday. We'll have Window Watch uh, back in its usual slot, 1pm Friday afternoon, where we'll zero in on all those transfer lines that a little bit more. But for now, a very, very enjoyable night. Good for the football soul. 10,000 fans back at Carrow Road, singing on the Ball City, enjoying those celebratory waves with Daniel Farker after a 5-0 pre-season win. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.